Welcome to Future Spectives, the Locarno Film Festival podcast presented by UBS. I'm your host, Gabby Sanderson, and I'm here to talk with international film stars, upcoming talent, and industry game changers. Over the Future Perspective series, you will discover secret stories and inspiring perspectives on the future of cinema, culture, and society. So let's begin. This is Future Perspectives. This is Future Perspectives. My name is Gabby. Welcome, Jonna Nazzaro, the artistic director of the Locarno Film Festival. And here we are in the beautiful Locarno. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for the invitation. This is my first time at the festival and it really is incredibly special. People said that to me before I got here, but then, you know, being, being in Locarno for the first time too, it, it's stunning. Locarno is this uh, feeling of being part of something that is part of you, but at the same time it transcends you. It's also, I guess, one of the very few, if not the only one, festival that transforms the whole place where it takes place. Mm -hmm. It's really about how the city is transformed by the festival. I've got a beautiful quote from you that I pulled that says, I started to collaborate professionally with the Locarno Film Festival in 2009. I discovered a festival that was different from the others, one which operated on different levels, local, regional, national and international. A festival that could take over a town and turn it into a film town, a festival capable of accommodating a range of audiences who could come together and share the love of cinema. And I've definitely witnessed that firsthand. It is like that because when you uh, come to Locarno, you have obviously been elsewhere and you can't help but notice the, the differences. If you're a cinephile, the first thing you notice, you don't have to line up to get into a room and before the pandemic it was enough to have an accreditation to just watch a film and you could easily watch six films a day without skipping your sandwich mm. and obviously when you are a young film critic or a cinephile you want to see as much films as possible and this is something that I was talking a long time ago with Olivia Sayas. She always told me there are many ways to experience a festival. And um, one is to see as much film as possible. One is to not see not even one film because you need to... We didn't use that verb back at the time, but because you need to network. Mm. And uh, you go to parties and you try to understand how to crash parties or <laughs> how to get the best tickets or, and so on. Here, it was different because mm. you didn't have to crash the parties. I mean, even if you didn't have eventually an invitation, you would mostly end up in one party anyway. And you did not have to do that at the expense of your sandwich or the films. So this creates this... Um, wonderfully protective bubble for like 12 days 
where you move from one pleasure to the other, from a film mm -hmm. to the people you talk the films with, to the people you party with. So there are many sides to this festival. And there's the business side as well, the Locarno Pro. This is an essential part, but it's also a different conversation in okay. the sense that the things that I was saying right now are more elements that would attract a cinephile. Right. Not that the people that take care of business are not cinephiles, because otherwise they could not do what they do in the first place. But also the industry has changed dramatically and substantially in the last 10 years because the way we distribute films, the way the films are produced, the way the films are sold, the way the films are presented or offered to festival has transformed. Mm -hmm. When I started out, there were obviously sales, but it was the conversation was quite different. Nowadays, if you want to navigate the festival environment, you need to know the people who are the facilitators of the films, the people that sell the film. And this is a whole different conversation, uh, I would say. So okay. going back to the experience of um, a young cinephile, you felt that Locarno was the place you belong to, because then there's also a different way of experiencing the festival, mm. because you can decide that you want to see all the films in the different competition or you don't want to miss not even one film in the retrospective. Mm. Anyway, all these different aspects allow you to understand cinema better. And I'm trying to cut it short, but few things I know about cinema are the things that I learned in the festival. So there are two festivals I learned something from. The first, but it was also biographically my first was Torino mm -hmm. and because it was a very cinephile oriented festival we had lots of interesting directors coming to present our films we had lots of interesting retrospectives and that allowed you to uh, absorb huge chunks of cinema the Czech new wave the Mexican uh, cinema mm. uh, the new waves from the African continent and the American uh, Indies uh, and on and on and on. Mm -hmm. So, the, And when I came to Locarno, I, uh, it was a couple of years later, I experienced the same idea, the same, I would say, community feeling. Because mm -hmm. what was fun in Torino is that the place where we all went to eat was in a place, it's kind of bar, dance hall, yeah. uh, that was run by retirees, elderly people, so they were serving food and stuff, we were inviting right. directors, and I remember distinctly Kirk Wong, the wonderful action director from the 90s from Hong Kong, dancing with an elderly lady from Torino <laughs> nice. because he knew the tune mm. and this was something that uh, when I came to Locarno I found the same spirit of a community. I love that. Can you actually, 
I have never sat down with the artistic director of a film festival before. So for me and for lots of people listening, could you tell us a bit about what that job entails? I don't believe in festivals that do not have a signature, a recognizable signature. And this because when I uh, started attending festivals, I chose the films which to my understanding, were the expression of someone's taste that selected certain films. And f for me, it is important that the handwriting of the curatorial criterias are recognizable. I don't believe in eclectism, like, like a bit of everything. Right. I don't believe in that. I mean, you need to understand what it is that you are trying to say when you pick a film or when you refuse a film, which is something that happens way more often than saying yes. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> it sounds like an arrogant joke, but most of the time you say no. Mm -hmm. So a big part of the jo job is saying no. And uh, obviously people want to know how come, how dare, you reject my film. And I usually try to answer, but then I leave it at that, because that's an endless conversation. You just killed someone's darling, and they want to know why, and there is no argument in the world that would mm -hmm. make them accept that uh, someone just Dis drowned their baby. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking dismiss their baby, yes. Um, you say that about Locarno, we are our own festival, we are our own history. And there's a lot of history to this festival, isn't there? Yes, because this is a festival that managed to keep a conversation with itself. It means not on a narcissistic level, but because the filmmakers that came once became part of the festival, its experience and especially its strategies of looking forward. Locarno is considered the city of peace. So um, if we look at Article 27 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which was signed here in Locarno in 1925, and I quote, everyone has the right to the protection of the moral and material interests resulting from any scientific, literary or artistic production of which he is the author. If we are all equal in dignity and in rights, then how do we honour and respect freedom of expression, but equality and dignity at the same time? Well, you start honouring freedom of, of expression in that specific point where you would say this is crap uh, because it is easy to honor freedom of ex expression if we agree yeah yeah i agree <laughs> and uh, i don't think that we are supposed to like everything I don't, I don't believe in that, because otherwise what would be the difference? The huge thing is what makes a real difference. So there's a lot of stuff that I don't like, but I don't like it. I don't hate it, which is different. Mm. So if you're going to um, showcase a film, you don't like it, 
but you think it's going to spark conversation and you can tell it's been made well, would you show it's, it? Absolutely. I mean, it's not about not liking a film. If I'm allowed to make a biographical example, but I was in Venice, it was my first year. I was curating the Critics Week, which is different from here because uh, it was about first films, feature. I had, I'm not going to say the titles of the two films, but there was one film I totally recognized and I totally I ad adhered to and was something that was speaking to me, that I knew where it was cam coming from, mm -hmm. that I liked a lot. And then there was another film that felt grading, in a way, to my perception. Mm. And still it stuck in a way that I couldn't get rid of. And I really had just one slot. What do I take? What do I need? So I was talking with the selection committee and they would push me in the direction of the film that I liked more. And I couldn't decide myself. Something felt off. So I said, okay, we're not going to decide tonight. We didn't decide the day after. And this thing was really weighing heavily on us. Mm. So I went I started thinking that what it is that you don't like about that film. And I started, I don't like this, I don't like that. And then I, s somehow I, it was like, it dawned on me, that's exactly the film that you need. Mm. You must not make the mistake of picking something, one, something that you like and love because you recognize it. Put yourself in a position of danger, aesthetic danger. Yeah. And this is what I did and then the filmmaker I mean he's one of the most respected filmmakers today it went extremely well so when I say I don't like it's not that something that I do not like it's simply referred to something that catches me off guard because uh, that's where the shifts are happening sometimes you work comfortably with lots of films that don't put you off guard but are extremely well made mm. that you know are going to work that they have lots of interesting elements good performances good scripts you name it but sometimes it is necessary to push and uh, it can hurt i assure you because when the reaction come back and people are upset <laughs> Because going through the experience of a film that an audience rejects is painful. It hurts. I mean, even if you did not do that film, it hurts. Mm. One of the experiences that were more interesting was to watch the films that I had selected while sitting next to the director. <laughs> and I guess that I have aged more during those screenings than <laughs> in all my life. <laughs> wow. Because you sit yeah. next to a person who's seen her, his film for the first time in a public screening, in a situation of a world premiere. And then when it begins for you, you have selected it. You realize that I hope this is going to be over very soon. And then the, the film starts, and it's two hours long. Mm. 
And it's not that you don't love it. It's not that you think I made a mistake. You just realize that the audience is making an acquaintance. And it's not an easy process. And every breath that you hear in the room, it's like something that hits you, stabs you, pulls you. And you can feel the physical pain of the director reacting to the noises of the crowd. Yeah. And you think, I will never be able to eat anything after this afternoon. And uh, you are just longing for it to be over. Because film is also a physical experience. Because when you watch a film on your own, Mm -hmm. it's your pleasure you are having a conversation with. So you're only answering yourself. But this is the first stage, which maybe tells you, I like this. I enjoyed it, I felt it, but then you need to bring it eventually to your selection committee, and then the conversation starts, let's call it that way, mm-hmm. and then you need to make your stand, you need to keep your ground, and you need to work against your unconscious bias, whatever that might be in that specific conversation, and then you need also to keep your eyes and your ears open to what they are bringing to the table because you are not God. You might be totally mistaken and this and that, but then you... so, And this is only the first stage. And when the film is finally out there and you bring it to an audience. So I had once an experience with a filmmaker that I dearly love. I'm not going to say who he or she is, but I thought that it was the most daring thing that I've ever seen. And I said, oh, this is something that we are going to unleash on an audience and stuff. But being, being me, myself, I did not realize that that film was... I mean, it's a wonderful film, okay? But it was really an out-there film. Okay. So when the film started... The room went like, oh my God, where are we? And then the exodus began, <laughs> like the real exodus. And every seat that was abandoned was like, clock, clock, clock. And so, I mean, the film had several very problematic points. Not for me, because I didn't... But anyway, so this just to say that sometimes... But the screening ends, there's com- conversation, the audience that that's left is on an adversarial relation with those that didn't like. The room was quite electric. Mm. And I said, oops. And then I'm trying to gain my exit. And there's this elderly lady who's wiping her eyes. I said, oh my God, this went really bad. I was trying to avoid to cross the path with the lady and then she walks toward me and she said thank you thank you i've never seen such a well-crafted portrait of the complexities of being a woman oh wow and she said the film moved me i i want to thank you i don't understand why those people left and i was like wow so what i'm trying to say is long story short is that films can come from everywhere, Mm. and the conversation can begin in every point of the whole so-called network, and you might be 
surprised and you might hear some of the words that you were hoping to hear coming from a completely different place. But also in this case the film went extremely uh, well because it came a cult item. Uh, the fact that it was so controversial helped the film Propaganda. in making its career because it attracted a certain kind of commercial interest mm -hmm. and a certain curatorial interest that helped it get around for a very long time. Mm. And you're not going to tell us which film it was? No. <laughs> okay. Something else you said was the Locarno Film Festival has a soul made up of many parts and it embraces all different expressions of films. So you as um, the art director, do you feel the social responsibility of, of the festival's programming, curation? Of course. Um, I mean, responsibility is the key. But responsibility does not mean play it safe. My job, which is a kind of how to define my job, what set of skills mm -hmm. are you supposed to possess in order to do my job? I mean, yeah. uh, I curate. You curate. So yeah. wh wh how, do, how do you curate? What do you do? What it is that you do? And... Uh, what I'm trying to say is that I try to work understanding what the overall workflow is, mm. who the persons are that help this uh, social body that the festival is to continue working. Mm. And I accept the risks that come with programming because there are always two ways of doing things. And one is, one is the safe way and one is the other. Mm -hmm. When it works, you are super happy. Mm -hmm. There is a film now that we had to add another screening because it became the, not even sleeper hit, the hit of the festival so far this year yeah and uh, then there are other things that uh, eventually do not play out like you wanted in the first place so mm. it's a i mean on an emotional side it's a really a roller coaster you have either it's like good news bad news uh, yeah. So-so news, really bad news, <laughs> maybe good news, but, and it's something that can be quite uh, stressing. I can imagine. How important are festivals as free zones where everyone has the right to expression? The festival is a free zone mm -hmm. because we the, the different f the films that we program. If you line them up. There's mm. not one film that looks like the other one. Mm. And not because they're simply made by different people, because you try to say something. I mean, let's make a, an example with what went on on Piazza Grande. Mm. We began, we, had, we have this project, Postcards from the Future. The first postcard came from Ukraine, right? And it was made by Natalia Boroshbit, the director of Bad Roads. She didn't want to do the film because she felt that after having fled from Kiev with a family, the dog, and so on, she was completely destroyed because her first film, Bad Roads, had exactly to do with the situation in Donbass and so on. So we spoke. 
and then I had the opportunity to see the film by Sokurov and I was in London and um, I meet her producer and I said Dennis there's this situation we will have the film by Sokurov in Locarno and I know that Natalka might be worried about this or not want but we need to come up with a solution mm. we spent three hours i can also tell you where in order to discuss and how to address this situation right so she finally decided and made the wonderful short film that we opened the festival with honoring the ukrainian resistance and then we showed Bullet Train, <laughs> right? Which is a... Yeah, blockbuster. And some people felt offended by the fact that you show first a film by a Ukrainian filmmaker and then you show that film. And for me, this is a non-issue mm -hmm. because I'm sure that the people that, that are at the front or volunteering or living in the shelters, they would enjoy the hell out of bullet train just for a change. And they are certainly not so stupid to mistake the shenanigans in a wonderful crafted action movie mm -hmm. with real life. They would, And I'm not saying this to no. explain the curatorial choice that I made because if we speak violence if there is one place where violence fits well it's the big screen because you know when the lights go on it's over and you go to the bar you say oh I like this I like that blah 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 mm. okay mm -hmm. so I mean violence will always be there the violence that we saw in Bullet Train was not bad that was cartoonish that was Tex Avery comical wasn't it almost that, that, yeah that was Tex Avery that was Chuck Jones that was the Looney Tunes on a train with Brad Pitt that was Wild Coyote getting chopped up. That was uh, Sylvester the Cat getting dynamite in his mouth and being blown to smithereens. Right. I mean, th th that was that. It was tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. Because yeah. it was meant to upset certain people. But what I don't really appreciate was how dare you when, they, when some people go to the length to tell you how dare you. First of all, I didn't dare. I discussed, I know the people that I'm talking with. Yeah. And they, why would they want to be treated differently than everybody else? So you are being attacked by a world power that wants to conquer your land. So you are that person all the time. So, so mm. you know what I'm trying to say is... Yeah. And then after Bullet Train, we have a film about... A survivor from the camp who thinks that his neighbor is Adolf Hitler. Yeah. And he has to start understanding what is going on. Does he want to be a victim also for the rest of his life? Does he want to understand who's that person? So what I'm trying to say, it's a journey. Yeah. And this is the Piazza Grande because you are addressing up to 8,000 people every night. Mm. And at the same time, I mean, you begin with a bang then you it's about an experience that you are trying to create and you invite people to come to your home you give them a party then we say let's have a conversation let's go to eat yeah uh, let's enjoy ourselves yeah, it's like mm. and what about that journey in the future uh what are your hopes and dreams for 
the years to come with Locarno Film Festival? The future is what we are doing today, how we address the conversations that we're having. We cannot look that way and think, oh, the future will be inclusive. No, your present tense has to be inclusive. Mm. Uh, there will be no this tomorrow. No, today. Mm. And what it ultimately means is that my choices need to be double-checked today, not tomorrow, because the future does not exist. It's tomorrow, next day, and so on. But I live today. So I am setting the possibility of new questions, because it's not about answers. It's always about questions today with the choices that I make. So it's about that. The future is not an abstract concept just to look more smart or interesting because you are doing something. It's really about trying to be more respectful. Not in a lazy way because we are scared to have controversial conversations. It's about being here today in a different way. And I hope this does not sound corny, but, you know, just try to say just a bit more thank you or just try to be more nice. Then obviously it becomes a larger conversation and we need to engage ourselves so that the possibilities that we might have some more time on our hands to pass on is real. Mm. So I'm not trying to get off lightly just by saying a couple of more thank yous. But it's about that. It's personal involvement, personal responsibility. You cannot get away from your responsibility. It's not always other people's fault. Of course it is, but it's not always about dropping bombs on other people. So this is what I think about the future. Where the festival is concerned, we are trying to analyze what structural uh, transformations are happening in order to fit them into the system so that the workflow can be simplified, so that the workflow can be lighter. It's not cool to be busy uh, 24 hours a day. You should also enjoy your time. And ultimately, if you work 24 hours a day, maybe you're not working that well. Maybe there's something wrong with your the whole work experience. And even if you are responsible for a huge machine, yeah. maybe that machine can be served by working seven and a half hours if you do that correctly if you delegate if you work with talented people if you invest in people and say i trust you do that with your mm. own talents and do it in a way that fits your life and maybe if we create this basic premises yeah maybe we can progress so the future is not something abstract that floats around the future is today what is that concerns us and why does it concern us? Do we have a, an answer? No. Do we have a smart question? Maybe. What is this question? Sorry, I'm getting a bit emotional. <laughs> no, no, no. This is. I'm, I could not agree with you more, actually. And coming from working in America uh, and many, many hours, it's ringing very true to my ears, that's for sure. This has been a very, very enlightening conversation. Thank you so much. With every guest, we have a feature at the end of the episode, which we call Closing Credits, and it's like the movie, The End Credits. And this is more of a quick fire. We ask the same, every single guest, the okay. same questions. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let's roll your closing credits. 
What movie have you watched most in your life and why? Oh, Conan the Barbarian. If you could have the Piazza Grande to yourself with your chosen friends, what movie would you like to watch there the most? That's easy. Conan the Barbarian, <laughs> Big Wednesday, uh, Roma Città Aperta, Imitation of Life, uh, Taxi Driver, The Friends of Eddie Coyle, um, The Honeymoon Killers, The Accident. Um, uh, do I have still time? <laughs> We'll move on. Um, you're directing a movie about your life. What would the opening and closing scenes look like? Oh, my God. You, you did something to me because I never say this, but it would look like a bit like Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm serious. I mean, John Milius is a wonderful guy. He has this bad rap, but it's not. Mm -hmm. He's a wonderful guy. Mm -hmm. And I like the fact that the mythological approach of, Con uh, of John Milius, because it felt so serious. And when you're a kid, you can easily detect when someone is BSing you. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. And when I went to see that film, and Mr. Schwarzenegger was not that big star, he was just a nobody that was there, it felt like this person that is telling me the story is serious about what he's saying. And uh, that really made an, an impact, because then when I went on to study what he did, he was such an articulate guy, and each time I would read an interview, he would quote Schopenhauer, Kerouac, Burroughs, the Russians, and, and he had always these incredibly outrageous ideas. And, uh, and I was like, oh my God. And may I just add something? Yes, please. I had once the opportunity to interview him, and the press agent said, 15 minutes, no more. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm no way I'm going to stay 15 minutes. I need to ask the hell out of Mr. Milius. So I went into the room. There was chairs like this. I didn't sit on a chair. I sat on the ground. I crossed my leg like, his, where, like he was this big Indian chief. And I said, and they said, what want you to ask me? And they said, is it true that John Huston wanted to have John Wayne in the role of Hahab in Moby Dick? And he went like this. Yes, because you have to know that John Hughes... And it went on and on. Obviously so how long did you get? One and a half hour. <laughs> nice. <laughs> True story. Nice. True story. If you could create a new category of award at the Locarno Film Festival, what would it be mm. and who would you give it to? This is a difficult question. Uh, it would be an award that would embody for me the values of cinema which for me basically are still the values of Roberto Rossellini because cinema ultimately is about freedom. What Roberto Rossellini basically did was to reinvent, recreate a country that had been offended by fascism. And he was speaking to Italians who had to so-called make a strong choice in order to become free again. And that film, Roma Città Aperta, allowed basically the Italians to say, we can be Italians again. And mm. through that film, he created what we know today as modern Italy. 
and it was not made by politicians. Mm -hmm. It was made by Roberto Rossellini. Roberto Rossellini, even though he has no monument in Italy, he's the creator of it. So if I would give today an award, I would think long and very hard on who are the creators that could inspire these big feelings and ideas. Yeah, I love that. What's the biggest challenge today for cinema and culture? To think outside the box. What can art and cinema do to improve people's lives? Be bold and brave. Is today's art shaping society as it should? Nope. <laughs> I really want you to elaborate, but I don't think we've got time. Uh, as the Locarno Film Festival is all about freedom, do you feel free? I do. Thank you so much. This been has been wonderful. It really has been a pleasure. I hope that John of this Nazzaro, thank does you. not survive only the Conan bit. <laughs> thank you for listening to Future Spectives, the Locarno Film Festival podcast presented by UBS. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support Future Spectives with your review and subscribe on all the major podcast platforms. This series is created and produced by Brand Audio Media.